the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I cried to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Okay, friends, so last week, we left our friend Jonah in a pretty prickly situation, didn't we? Jonah has ignored God's call. He didn't even dignify it with a verbal response. He ran in the exact opposite direction that God called him to run. He used his own money even to flee. Remember, he paid his own fare at Joppa as he's headed for Tarshish. He hid in the belly of a ship while a storm raged above him and threatened to tear the ship apart. And that storm was a direct result of his actions, by the way. That was his consequence to own, and he's hidden away. He demonstrated far less virtue than the pagan sailors that he was with. He failed to accept responsibility for his actions, failed to actually do what God called him to do, and failed to truly own his identity and calling. He essentially said, I'd rather die than do what God asked me to do. That is a prickly situation indeed. Jonah has now found himself in the belly of Sheol. That's his words from chapter 2, which you just heard read. And that phrase was used to describe the depths of emotional despair, difficult circumstances, anger, rage, grief, all those negative emotions uh, washing over him like billows and the consequences of his own sin. In the words of the princess bride, Jonah is indeed in the pit of despair. He is at the bottom of his uh, life, at a rock bottom, as we say. So Jonah's left with no options. I mean, look, look, if you're being digested alive by a monstrous fish, you don't have a lot of options left. So Jonah turns to the one option he feels like he has. He prays. 
You just heard that prayer read in its entirety. That's really all that's in chapter two. No dialogue, no narrative, just Jonah's prayer. So today I want to ask this question of chapter two. What does Jonah teach us about how to pray? Now, spoiler alert here, maybe we could better phrase the question this way. What does Jonah teach us about how not to pray? Because that seemed like a a pretty virtuous thing to do, don't you think? He's uh, in the depths of his own uh, sin and consequence and his uh, negative emotions are overwhelming him. He's being dragged down into this pit. It seems like a virtuous thing to do to call out to God and pray. But if Jesus taught us anything about prayer or about anything else for that matter, it's that things aren't always as they seem. So Jonah's decision to pray or even the prayer itself is probably not as virtuous as we'd like to think. So uh, let's take a closer look. Maybe we'll be surprised. The first thing I want to point out that you just heard, again, as we read Jonah chapter 2, is the selfishness that's exhibited and reflected in those 10 verses. Did you notice in 10 verses, 10, Jonah uses the word I, me, or my 25 times. So to take a cue from Katie Bueller, Ferris Bueller's mom, 25 times. I don't remember him using that word 25 times. And Ed Rooney responds with, Yes, indeed, (laughs) Mrs. Bueller. He's been absent nine times, and I would respond just as Ed Rooney did. Yes, indeed. 25 times, two and a half times per verse, Jonah talks about himself, I, me, or my. His prayer really is pretty darn selfish. Now, it's not just the selfishness there. There's all kinds of other things that point to Jonah's kind of inward gaze, certainly not an outward gaze or an upward gaze. Uh, Jonah reveals a victim mentality. Did you see in uh, verse 4, Jonah says, I was driven away from your sight? I was driven away from your sight? Wait, last week, Jonah deliberately ran where? away from the presence of the Lord. And that, uh, that phrase w- was repeated twice in chapter one in the first four verses. This is where Jonah wants to go. And now he's blaming God for driving him away when in reality, Jonah ran away himself. Playing a little bit of the blame game, isn't he? How about verse three? He says to God, for you cast me into the deep. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I read chapter one. I know what happened. Who cast Jonah into the deep? You answer it. Who is it? It was the sailors, right? And who requested to be cast into the deep? Jonah. And not only did he request to be cast into the deep, the sailors first pass was, we're not going to throw you overboard. We'll try to row back to shore. Now he's blaming God for you cast me into the deep. That's a little bit of a victim mentality, don't you think? Jonah's still really self-righteous here. Listen to what he says in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. 
but I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. So he's hearkening back to chapter one. If you recall, once the sailors throw him overboard, they take vows, they take vows. And he says, you know what? Unlike them who won't repay, uh, unlike them who pay regard to vain idols and will forsake their hope of steadfast love, unlike them, what I vowed, I will repay. And he finishes it this way. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's interesting uh, because these two verses, listen again, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It'd be pretty good on a bumper sticker, right? Yeah, but that's taken completely out of context. Jonah is still self-righteous here. How does he know that they forsook their steadfast love? How does he know that they didn't pay their vows? How did he know they didn't follow through? He's making a huge assumption here based on his own self-righteousness. So he's selfish. There's a victim mentality. He's playing the blame game. He's self-righteous. He takes no responsibility for his actions. Now, I can't point to a verse here because it's not what's in the passage. It's what's not in the passage. At no place in chapter two did you hear Jonah say, you know what, God, I messed this one up. You said, go there, and I went here. You said, talk to them, and I ran away. You gave me opportunity after opportunity with a storm, with a fish, with sailors. You gave me opportunity after opportunity. And I said, no, you know what, God? I'm sorry. I own it. Jonah never, ever says that. He never takes responsibility. And really, he forgets God's mercy by and large. I want to point out that in the original language in Hebrew, this is a 25-line song of lament. It's 10 verses, but you see it probably in your Bible, broken up kind of line by line. In the, that's the original Hebrew uh, paragraph breaks, 25, 25 lines. And only twice in 25 lines does he mention God's mercy. Only twice. I mean, he's all but forgotten the mercy of God. I wonder if you notice what else is missing here. Because Jonah prays and then the fish spits him out back onto dry land. What else is missing? It's the voice of God, isn't it? It's the voice of God. God doesn't, God doesn't say squat. He doesn't say, oh, Jonah, thank you for coming to me in repentance and faith and I forgive you and we're good to go and let's go uh, tell this city of Nineveh to repent. Jonah just prays. God causes the fish to vomit Jonah back onto dry land. And here he is once again, faced with the exact same task that God gave him to begin with. I think about my kids in this particular case and God's interaction with Jonah here. There are times when I say to uh, one of my children, go pick that up or go clean up your room. And then there's request after request after request. And a lot of times I'm just silent. Dad, can I have a treat? Dad, can I have a cookie? Dad, can I have a snack? Dad, can I watch a show? Dad, why aren't you answering me? Well, because I told you what I wanted you to do. I could just hear God saying that to Jonah. Jonah saying, God, I prayed. Why didn't you answer me? Because I've already told you what I wanted you to do. God is totally silent in chapter 2. 
Jonah has found himself wrapped up by the weeds of his own rebellion, drowning in his own doing in the belly of Sheol. And he's in blame mode, victim mode, self-centered mode, and self-righteous mode. Listen to what Tim Keller writes about this particular moment in the book of Jonah in his commentary on Jonah. He says, we readers are now beginning to see that Jonah is in desperate need of the very mercy of God that he finds so troubling. Hmm. We readers are now beginning to see that Jonah is in desperate need of the very mercy of God that he finds so troubling. Now, this is so fascinating to me, this uh, moment in the book of Jonah, really the entire book of Jonah, because we might expect that a prophet of God would be godly, holy, upright in all things, uncomplicated, totally faithful and focused on the task at hand. This is not Jonah. What we're hearing here is that Jonah is a little bit of a pretender. He pretends in his self-righteousness. He pretends that he's not really responsible. He pretends that he's the victim here. And he reflects that back to God in prayer. If you're jotting notes down, let's just jot this down, that even God's prophet can be a pretender sometimes. Even God's prophet can be a pretender sometimes. And, And can I add one thing on top of that? If God's prophet can be a pretender sometimes, you certainly can too. And so can I. I don't know how many times that my prayers have reflected some sense of pretending. How about this? It's it's far easier to talk about other people than it is ourselves, right? Let's not talk about ourselves around. Let's talk about other people. You ever been in a prayer group with somebody and, and it's time for them to pray and they go like this. Oh, Lord, our Lord, heavenly Lord of all heaven and earth. Thou art holy and gracious above all things, and thy goodness surpasses all understanding. We come to thee, O Lord, in love and humble surrender, and we ask thee, O Lord, to do your will in all things. And you're like, well, that didn't feel right. That's really what Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2 feel like. Jonah talks about his piety in chapter 2, but we're certain he is not pious given his behavior in chapter 1. He talks about his own fidelity in chapter 2, but we are certain he is not faithful based on his behavior in chapter 1. Friends, faith is never as simple as pure obedience or pure rebellion. We are complex creatures that struggle with doubt and fear and anger and hopelessness and sin and grief and whatever else, and we're not always happy with God and the circumstances we face. We don't always feel like praying at all. And when we do, we sometimes feel the need to be perfect, to pray the perfect prayer, to reflect to God that we've got it together. So here's the first thing that that I want you to learn from, from the book of Jonah. Perfect prayers are unicorns. Perfect prayers are leprechauns. Perfect prayers are the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Perfect prayers are (laughs) pretend, non-existent, imaginary. They don't exist because we are complex creatures that deal with complex emotions just as Jonah is dealing with here. 
There's no sense in pretending when we come before God. We can come to him in this authenticity. We can say, God, this stinks. I don't like this. God, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I can't figure out how to do it. God, I know what you said to do, but I ran in the other direction. God, I don't like what you're up to here. He can handle that. Recall the prayer of our Lord, even at the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, I mean, eventually it was not my will, but yours be done. But initially it was, if there's any other way, I don't like this. Let this cup pass from my face. God can take that. But Jonah has not yet cast himself completely on the mercy of God, and it's reflected in these pretend prayers. Here's the second thing I would tell you. Since you can't pray perfectly, just pray honestly. Since you can't pray perfectly, just pray honestly. There is no such thing as a perfect prayer as demonstrated by Jonah here. You're certainly not going to hide before God. And even Jonah recorded for posterity is unable to hide before man. We get you, Jonah. We know you're still struggling, buddy. We know you're not as pious as you think. And since, and since you can't pray perfectly, just pray honestly. In my study on the book of Jonah, I've kind of read as much as I can possibly get my hands on uh, when it comes to this book and, and commentaries on this book. And, and one of the books that, that I've been picking apart a little bit is called The Book of Jonah, A Social Justice Commentary by Rabbi Dr. Shmuley Yanklowitz. Huh. Hmm. It's been great so far. Let me read to you uh, his thoughts on this particular part of the book of Jonah, Jonah's prayer. Dr. Yanklowitz writes this, Perhaps the greatest virtue in prayer is truth. A prayer cannot be uttered before the creator of the world by someone who hides or speaks lies. Those engaged in prayer must believe wholeheartedly in their words and in their underlying meaning. Prayer requires a level of courage and is an exercise in which we do not hide any dimension of our inner lives. If one is looking to prioritize healing and spiritual communication, then authenticity is the only choice. We must be willing to make ourselves vulnerable, to bear our souls and speak our inner truths, which is not always a simple task. As human beings, our vulnerabilities and imperfections are part of our nature, but acknowledging them in prayer brings us closer to God. Wow. Wow. I say wow, because that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Total vulnerability before God, total authenticity. Not pretending we're more pious than we are or holy than we are. Not trying to excuse our own sin or back away into victim mentality or blame Him. Just coming before God with all of our emotions and all of our brokenness, total vulnerability. It sounds absolutely terrifying. But see, here is where we have to remember what the book of Jonah is about. What is the book of Jonah about? Jonah is a book about God's mercy. So if we start there, 
with a God merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love with his unfailing commitment to walk with us no matter what, to listen, to understand, to show compassion. If we start with the assumption that God would sacrifice anything up to and including his own son in order to show us grace, then we can certainly pray with authenticity and without fear, can't we? This is parenting 101, by the way, for those of you who are parents. Uh, There have been moments where Kaya has, you know, something has happened at school or whatever, and her teachers let us know. And when I say something has happened at school, you know what I mean. (laughs) She's a spark plug. Uh, And I know that sometimes uh, Kaya doesn't want to tell me what exactly happened because maybe she didn't make a great choice or maybe she feels like I would be disappointed in her. And in those moments, friends, not always, but I do my best uh, to wrap her up and I take her over to the couch, over to a chair in our house, away from what's going on. And I say, babe, look in dad's eyes. Does dad look disappointed? She says, no, dad. Does Does dad look angry? No, dad. How does dad look, babe? She says, happy. And then she says, Daddy, are you starting to well up? Are you starting to well up? And sometimes it's true, I am. And the reason why is because I am not disappointed in that kid. She is my joy. Uh, She is a gift to me and God's grace to me. She is favor that I did not deserve. Nothing she could ever do would make me love her more. Nothing she could ever do would make me love her less. I love her just because she's my kid. And so that allows for, when she believes that now, a level of authenticity beyond our comprehension. See, Jonah has not yet fallen completely upon the mercy of his heavenly father. He doesn't know that he's loved unconditionally. He doesn't know that he can be totally honest with God. Today, I want you to know that you can because of his unfathomable mercy, grace, and love. So Jonah's prayer wasn't perfect, was it? I think we've established that. But look what happens in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So just as God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah, now he has caused the fish to vomit Jonah back onto dry land, which is his deliverance. Uh, Pastor Dave Lewis pointed this out to me this week, and I thought it was very funny, so I wanted to say it, that God hurled a storm In chapter 1, the sailors hurled Jonah into the sea in chapter 1, and now a fish has hurled as well. (laughs) I like that joke. It's a a vomit joke. But yeah, he's hurled Jonah back onto dry land. And so uh, just a really quick key learning for us here, and doesn't really relate exactly to where we're headed today, but sometimes God's plans for you can be as messy as fish vomit. They can. It just happens. But let's move on. The point is really this. Here's my question. What is it that prompted God to spare Jonah's life? What gave God the patience to allow Jonah to go through this journey, even though he's pretending that he's more pious than he is? What allowed God to stick with Jonah even through tension and disappointment? Why didn't God just cast Jonah aside and choose another prophet? What compelled God to stick with him? Well, it sure as Sheol wasn't Jonah's prayer, was it? 
It's an imperfect prayer. That's not what's uh, prompting God here. It's God's mercy. It's his radical commitment to withholding retribution and punishment for those who've earned it. See, what we can learn about prayer here is this. God's mercy for you overcomes, overpowers, and overwhelms your imperfect prayers. Let me say that again. God's mercy for you overcomes, overpowers, and overwhelms your imperfect prayers. I remember when I was uh, just fresh in ministry, doing young adult ministry in Arizona, and we had a time of prayer at the end of our young adult service where people could come forward and receive prayer from their peers. And there's one individual named Anna who is leading this prayer team. And I mentioned something about you know, how it's so great that you guys call upon the Lord for these on behalf of these folks and do this work of intercession. And it means so much and it matters so much. And she says, you know what's interesting, Luke? And I said, what's that? She said, I believe that the work of prayer has already been done when that individual stands up in their seat. What, what does that mean? She said, because in standing to come forward to receive prayer, they have acknowledged a deep need for God. They have acknowledged that God can do something that maybe they can't. They acknowledge that God needs to be a part of a solution that maybe they can't affect for themselves. It's nothing specific or special about our prayers. Yes, we pray for them, but our prayers are broken and imperfect. You see, God's mercy overcomes, overpowers, and overwhelms even your imperfect prayers. That means that when you go to God, you don't have to come with kind of this calculated thing. You just come before Him and talk to Him and tell Him and pour out onto Him. He can can handle that emotion and he can hold it because of his radical and unfathomable mercy. Have you, like Jonah, been swallowed up by chaos and death? Call out to the Lord. The work of prayer has already been done the minute you call out to him. Don't wait for complete obedience or complete repentance call out to the Lord. The work of prayer is already done. What a hope we have. That if God can stick with a selfish, self-righteous, victim, blame game, runaway prophet like Jonah, oh, he can most definitely stick with me. Friends, you don't have to pretend anymore. One thing in conclusion, and I feel like it's really important to say, and then we'll be done. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, we're told <clears throat> that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Now, we can really easily fast forward to Jesus talking about himself and comparing himself to Jonah. But for the original reader, I just want you to know from extra biblical text and other texts of antiquity, that was the time that people assumed it took for a round trip to the underworld. Now, Jonah has gone all the way to Hades and back. He's gone to the depths of the grave and back, metaphorically speaking. That was what that three nights, three days would have indicated. But if you fast forward about 800 years or so to the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and ad adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the prophet Jonah. Hmm. Listen close now. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. Here's what the Word of God in its totality, the full counsel of Scripture is saying to us. That after Jonah, another prophet would arise in Israel. And this time, instead of paying his own fare to get away from God's call, this prophet would exhaust all of his resources in order to pursue God's call. Instead of letting fierce nationalism and racism and fear get in the way like Jonah did, this prophet would expand the boundaries of God's kingdom, welcome every tongue, tribe, and nation, and replace fear with joy. Instead of being enwrapped, entangled, and engulfed by the consequences of his own sin like Jonah was, this prophet would stay above the fray and avoid temptation. But like Jonah, this prophet would spend three days and three nights in the belly of the grave, just like Jonah. But this was not of his own doing, of course. It was our sin that put him there. And just like Jonah, it was the mercy of God that prompted that fish to uh, vomit Jonah back onto dry land. It was the mercy of God that tore back the bars of the grave. And Jesus came out after three days and three nights on our behalf. Sure, Jonah is a prophet that teaches us about prayer. Sure, he teaches us about God's mercy. But maybe most importantly, he points forward to Jonah 2.0, that new prophet in Israel, Jesus, who bore our sins and our iniquities on the cross, who took the wrath of God so that God could extend mercy. My prayer for you today would be that you know the incredible and unfathomable mercy of God. That you know that He gave you Jesus in order to pay for your sin. And, and, and in knowing the depths of His mercy, it would give you freedom to pray with authenticity. Freedom to pray even in your weakness, knowing He is strong. Freedom to pray with honesty and not pretend. And freedom to know all the while, even in your weakness, God is strong and deliverance is on the way.